Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number three of Joel chapter two. And we're going to be reading the first two verses of Joel two. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of Jehovah cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. And I'll stop reading there. Now, um, our last study, we were looking especially at verse 2 and the beginning part of the verse, and we saw once again how the Bible indicates that Judgment Day is a time of intense spiritual darkness. And we were looking at the various statements of darkness, gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, and so on. So, uh, at this time, we're going to continue looking at verse 2, and especially the statement that says, as the morning spread upon the mountains. And as we think about this, we wonder, well, how does that fit with what God has just been saying uh, concerning the day of the Lord. It's a day of darkness, gloominess, clouds, and thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. And and it doesn't seem to go along with all the previous statements. The morning is a time when the sun arises, the sun comes up, and, and that would dispel darkness, and it, it's an end of gloominess we normally think and and how does that go along with these statements well we're going to find that this is not the typical hebrew word for morning the typical hebrew word is strong's number 1242 and it's used most often in the bible for morning this hebrew word that's translated as morning here is strong's 7837, and it's used about 23 times in the Old Testament. And, of course, morning is a very common word, and so you can see how uh, the the other word is the more used word. And this word uh, is, is translated as morning, but it's also translated other ways. So let's look at a few places where this word, again, strong 7837, is used. And we're going to see that it often denotes judgment. For instance, in Genesis 19, in Genesis chapter 19, and verse 15, it says, And when the morning arose, then the angels Hasten, Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, 
lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, Jehovah being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Now this is the morning when God has entered into Sodom in the form of of these angels, and he has forewarned Lot that he is about to destroy the city. And so when the morning arose, it's time to get out quickly. The uh, the judgment is fast approaching, and, and soon um, Lot will step foot into Zoar, that little city, and the moment he does, then God rains down fire and brimstone from heaven. And, and this word, this Hebrew word is used uh, in the context of judgment on Sodom. Also in Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, we find this word again at the time when uh, Jericho is being destroyed in Joshua 6 and verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day. And the word dawning here is our word. About the dawning of the day encompassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And this is the day that after going around Jericho seven times, which would... um which would complete 13 times because the previous six days they've gone around the city once a day, totaling six. And now on the seventh day, they go around seven times. Seven plus six equals 13. And then the wall of Jericho came falling down and the city was taken. So the day that the wall of Jericho fell down the day that the city was taken, the dawning of that day of destruction for Jericho, and God uses that to paint a picture of the destruction that comes upon the church and the world at the end of time, well, that uh, this word is used to refer to the dawning of that day. In Judges chapter 19... And in verse 25, um, it says, But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, and, and that is our word, uh, the day there, when it began to spring, they let her go. And this uh, historical account of um, a, a woman being abused uh, within Israel pictures the Great Tribulation. So it also relates to God's judgment at the time of the end, the judgment that begins at the house of God. And again, that word day. And so we've seen it used in connection with Sodom's judgment. And with connection of Jericho's judgment, and now in 
uh, a historical setting that identifies with the judgment that did come upon Israel of old, but, but points to the judgment on the church. In Isaiah 47, Isaiah chapter 47 is a chapter that uh, God is speaking uh, or referring to Babylon's judgment. And he says in verse 11, Therefore shall evil come upon thee, thou, Babylon is is being referred to, thou shall not know from whence it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee, thou shall not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. And the word riseth, um, thou shalt not know from whence it riseth, from the, the rising of this judgment, the evil that will come upon Babylon. It is that same word translated as mourning in our verse. Now let's let's go to another one in Amos chapter four, and we can see that since this word is only used twenty some times, that uh, this is a, a good number that are associated with judgment. Amos four and verse thirteen: For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. Jehovah, the God of hosts, is his name. And there, maketh the morning darkness. And, of course, that would tie in with um, Joel 2, as God is speaking of the darkness of Judgment Day, and then the morning uh, breaks, uh, the, the morning is spread upon the mountains, and and it's the the daybreak of judgment day and god has made that morning darkness over all the earth um there's another verse that that um uses this word that i want to go to because i think it'll be helpful for us to understand this statement in isaiah chapter 14 it says in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of a congregation in the sides of the north. Here God is speaking of Satan, and he's calling him son of the morning. And, of course, we're familiar with the commentary on Isaiah 14 in Second Thessalonians 2. As we saw here in Isaiah 14, 13, that Satan, Lucifer, son of the morning, uh, has said in his heart he will send into heaven and exalt his throne, above the stars of God, and sit upon the mount of the congregation. Well, that goes along with Second Thessalonians 2, which says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, 
and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In, in very similar language about sitting in the temple, showing himself he is God. And yet there is the difference. He's called son of perdition in Second Thessalonians 2 and son of the morning in Isaiah 14. And and we wonder, well, why is he called son of the morning? There was a person who a while back had that question uh, during one of our, our question and answer times. And and it, it was a little difficult to understand until we look up this word morning, which is strong 7837, the, the word we, we find in Joel 2, Genesis 19:15, Joshua 6:15, and so on that we've been looking at, and then we see it identifies with destruction, whether it's the destruction of the end of the world or the destruction of judgment during the Great Tribulation. It identifies with destruction and perdition. The the Greek word translated as perdition. In Second Thessalonians 2 is also translated as destruction. So that the man of sin, the son of destruction, is the one of the names that God applies to Satan. And, and then we have a match. Because how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, or son of destruction, as this word morning the rising of the judgment represents destruction. And uh, now we can understand why God can uh, speak of Satan as the son of perdition, because it comes right from this verse in Isaiah 14, uh, in verse 12, where he's called son of the morning. Okay, let's uh, look at one other place that this word is used. And it's an interesting place. That's why I want to look at it. In Genesis 32, Genesis 32, we have the time in Jacob's life when he is wrestling with a man. And this man is God himself. We read in Genesis 32, beginning in verse 24, And Jacob was left alone, And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And that's our word, breaking of the day. And and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. There it is again, the same Hebrew word. Translate as morning, for the, the, the morning comes, or, or this rising. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And here, um, in, in this actual historical account, there was a time in Jacob's life when God, um, met him in the form of a man, 
And Jacob wrestled with this man who was God. And, and they wrestled, um, for a, a good length of time. It was at night and the day was breaking and, and yet there, there was no winner. The, the man who is God did not defeat Jacob in the wrestling match. Jacob was able to continue wrestling with him. And of course we understand that, uh, God was allowing him, permitting him to maintain this struggle with him. And, and when we look at it, we realize that Jacob who pictures the elect is involved in a struggle that relates to the drawing process of God's salvation plan. As the word of God would find a sinner who was predestinated to become saved, chosen uh, before the foundation of the world. Christ died for that individual's sins at the point of the world's foundation. And, And the word of God would find that person and then draw him or her, and sometimes the drawing process worked out over the course of years, maybe even decades, where where God's word um, grabbed a hold of that of that man or woman, and and it would not let them go, and and of course from man's perspective it was as though the man wouldn't let. God's word go and and that was the struggle over the course of time through various afflictions and trials and tribulations physical ailments financial trouble what whatever it was yet the the person maintained that struggle with God and yet had not become saved uh, uh because they were they're being drawn god had not yet created a new heart in them and and that's the mystery of drawing as as god uses that word and in the new testament it's a word that indicates a violent forceful uh bringing along by god of the individual against their will and and they they just could not let god go because God was drawing them until God blessed them. And, and and that's what we have in view here. Jacob wrestles with a man who is God until the breaking of the day. And the breaking of the day is, in this account, something very important. It, it, it's something that alters the struggle. Uh, it, it's as though they cannot continue to wrestle into the day once it breaks. The wrestling match must come to a close. And, 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 and so, um, he said, let me go in verse 26, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And verse 27, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And so God does bless Jacob before the day breaks. And 
And then uh, following this, it says in verse 30, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. A very unusual account that I we can understand to mean that the day breaks as judgment day, It's the day of destruction and the time of God wrestling with Jacob, who pictures all of the elect must come to a close. God will not continue to draw men after the day breaks, just as we we know that God saved everyone that he was going to save by May 21, 2011, because on that day, The day broke, the morning broke upon the mountains, to use the language of Joel 2. It was a day of darkness and gloominess and so forth. It was judgment day, and the time for people to struggle with God, to seek the Lord while he may be found, with the hope that God might be merciful to them and save them, had come to an end. The day of salvation had ended once the day of judgment dawned or rose. And, 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 and so that's the picture that God is giving us with this word, uh, again, that the day breaks and the, the wrestling match, uh, concludes. And notice also that, that, uh, Jacob halted upon his thigh. And there's a, a big emphasis made up, uh, about that. Um, let, let's look at Micah. Micah 4, we'll see that um, salvation is exactly what God had in view here. In Micah 4, and verses 6 and 7. In that day, saith Jehovah, will I assemble her that halteth. And the word assemble is a word that's translated as gather uh, elsewhere. And I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And Jehovah shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even for ever. So God says that he will make her that halted a remnant. And the elect are a remnant. Jacob is uh, a picture of the remnant that God saves out of the whole of this world. And remember also what we read in the New Testament in Matthew 18 and verse 8. He saith unto them, no, no, that's chapter 19. Matthew 18, 8, wherefore, If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. So if your hand or foot offend you, cut them off and 
uh, and and go into life halt or maimed. It's better to to be halt than uh, to continue in your sins and to experience destruction, to uh, be cast into everlasting fire. And and so uh, God is indicating that salvation is that which um, causes the, the sinful will of a man to be cut off as God takes out the heart of stone and, and gives a heart of flesh, a, a new heart and a new spirit. And receiving this new heart or new spirit is like entering into this life halt, uh, as though you you are um, uh, maimed in a sense. You're you have a limp now. You you don't walk as um, as easily in this world. You you have to get along with more difficulty as you you go uh, through this life. Let's look at one other place in Psalm 38. Psalm 38. And beginning in verse 17, it says, For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong. And they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. See, the true believer now has a conscience, a a very sensitive conscience towards sin and iniquity and is troubled when he does sin. He's, he's sorry for his sin and, and the, this is how he goes through life. But on the other hand, those that are not true believers, their conscience is, um, seared actually at this point, um, for many, but it, it's not as sensitive. It, it's not um as delicate and and, and um, in tune with God's laws and and what is a transgression of the law of God and and therefore uh, the people of the world are lively they're not troubled they're not cast down as often uh, maybe if they do something really terrible then they might feel bad oh how could I have done that and yet, the, the child of God feels like that, uh, quite a bit because the, the commandments of God are known to him and so he, he knows when even in his thinking he transgresses God's law and, and when he says things and when he does things and this is all part of halting, uh, as we go through this life. Okay, let's, Go back to Joel, Joel 2, and continue reading here. In verse 2, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. So the this word morning is picturing judgment day and the destruction that judgment day brings. But why does God say, as the morning spread upon the mountains. Why, why the mountains? And the word spread means that. It means to scatter, to cover. And 
and so that this is um uh it 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 is all over the mountains the morning it breaks and of course it the it rises upon the mountains well when we look up mountains in the bible we we find that mountains represent kingdoms and uh we know that satan has been given rule over the kingdoms of this world which he won when um, the original ruler, as as God gave Adam and Eve dominion, mankind was given dominion over the earth. And when Satan deceived them and they obeyed him and, and uh, through believing his lie, rather than obeying God, then they uh, entered into a subservient role to Satan. They now were to serve sin and Satan. Satan conquered man and uh, took the dominion over the kingdoms of this world. And and uh, so God pictures Satan as a ruler who has uh, been given authority over the nations, over the kingdoms of the world. We read in Revelation 17... In verse 8, the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the fountain of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads, and this is speaking of the seven heads of the beast, The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Now here, God is uh, saying that the seven heads of the beast, there are seven mountains. And then notice that there are seven kings. Because mountains represent kingdoms, and a king rules over a kingdom. So, um, then uh, there's a breakdown given that five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet to come. And that is describing the periods of rule uh, as God views them that were granted to Satan. And in the Old Testament, it's as though... He ruled um, over five kingdoms, or or five of the kings um, had their period of rule during that time. One is, that would be the rule uh, throughout the entire New Testament church age, and one is yet to come. When he would be loosed at the end of time, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, that would be the seventh and final period of rule, the seventh kingdom of Satan. And, and, and therefore when judgment day came, then the rule of Satan would come to a close. God only allowed him to rule over, um, these periods of time. And that's why we read in Daniel 7 that the beast was slain. And, and the rest of the beasts had their dominion taken away. The, the rule of Satan 
came to a close on May 21, 2011, which was the beginning of Judgment Day. And, and from that time, the Lord Jesus Christ began to rule all that Satan previously ruled over. Christ is ruling with a rod of iron. Well, this is the mountains. The mountains represent the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of Satan, and and as well as all of his periods of rule that now have come to an end. And we find um, that that God speaks of the mountains uh, experiencing judgment in Isaiah 34 is one place. Isaiah 34, um, verse 2 and 3, For the indignation of Jehovah is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. So there, the mountains are said to be melted with the blood of the slain. In Nahum, chapter 1, Nahum, it says in verses 5 and 6, The mountains quake in him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein, who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Again, this is speaking of the Lord in the day of his wrath. And the mountains quake and the hills melt in the time of God's indignation. Well, let's also go to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis 7, where uh, we we read about the flood and... Um, as the flood began, God makes a point of emphasizing that the mountains were covered. In Genesis 7, verse 17, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills, and that same word translated as mountains, that were under the whole heaven, were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl, and of cattle, and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. Of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. Now, notice the, the waters prevailed. Uh, we... We read upon the earth 150 days, and that five, that's a period of five months of 30 day months. And, and that five months typifies the duration of judgment day as we find in Revelation chapter nine. 
the waters represent the word of God, as um, we we have uh, proof of that in First Peter three, First Peter chapter three, and verse twenty, it says, "Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few." That is, eight souls were saved by water. So the water that, that destroyed the unsaved people of the world, God says, is the same water that saved Noah and his family, the eight souls in the ark. And how can that be? Well, the water lifted them up. And when it lifted the ark up, and, and they were delivered. And that's exactly what the Word of God accomplishes. God's Word saves the elect, and God's Word condemns the unsaved. It brings judgment to those that are not saved. That's why the Bible calls it a two-edged sword, able to cut either way, according to the will of God. And, and, and so when the flood bear up the ark, it saved Noah and his family. And when the flood waters prevailed and covered all the high hills or all the mountains, well then, that indicates the word of God is victorious. The word of God is triumphant. And that's what that word prevails mean. God's word won out. God Warn the world. He, he broadcast to all the earth May 21, 2011, Judgment Day. And, of course, the people of the world, being sinners, they denied it, they ignored it, they dismissed it, or whatever they did with it. And, and yet, uh, they, only God's elect would have seriously taken warning because God would have made sure they did and the rest did not seriously take warning and so they did not beseech the Lord for mercy while he might be found and they did not um, humbly go to him with the cry that God might save them and, and so they did not become saved and so God poured out the flood of judgment according to his word. He's executing vengeance, the vengeance that is written. The word of God is declaring judgment day. The door is shut. The light of the gospel is out. The waters of the earth are dried up as far as gospel waters are concerned. And this word of God is prevailing over the high mountains, over the kingdom of Satan, over Satan's rule, over all that Satan had dominion over, now um, is under judgment, is under the wrath of God. Well, um, we 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 could look a little bit more at this, but we need to move on. So let's go back to Joel, Joel chapter 2. And we'll finish reading uh, verse 2. It says, A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like. 
neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Now, all of a sudden, God introduces a great people and a strong. He, he's been talking about uh, Judgment Day as um, a, a darkness, a day of darkness, gloominess, a day of clouds, a thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. And, and once we search out that word morning, we, we then see how that fits, and we can understand that. It, it is the day breaking of the wrath of God upon the kingdoms of Satan, Babylon, the kingdom of this world, and all that Satan ruled over, and but who are a great people and a strong that just suddenly uh, are uh, interjected and and make this appearance in this context of Judgment Day, and there has never been ever the like, and neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Well, when we look up a great people and a strong, when we, we search the Bible to see uh, where these words are used, first of all, it leads us to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18 and verse 18. It says there, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And the word mighty is the same, the translation of the same Hebrew word translated as strong. A great and strong nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now we, we know that this promised Abraham that he would become a great and mighty nation, uh, has to do with the seed. As, as we read in Galatians chapter 3 in verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, into thy seed which is Christ. And then it says uh, in verse 29 of Galatians 3, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the the children of God, those that God saves, are the heirs that God had in mind when he was speaking to Abraham, when he would tell Abraham that um, his seed would be as the stars of the heaven for multitude, and or, or as the sand of the seashore. And it's pointing to all those that God intended to save through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the seed, but through Christ there is the heirs that that will be the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And they are a great and strong nation. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, Deuteronomy 26, it says in... Verse 5, And thou shalt speak, and say before Jehovah thy God, Assyrian, ready to perish, was my father, and he went down into Egypt, and sojourned there with a few, and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And, and again, that's speaking of Israel, historically, that um, 
that spent the 430 years to the self-same day in Egypt, and God multiplied them and grew them. And when they came out, they were a great nation. And again, God uses that word mighty. The, the, uh, they're a nation great, mighty, or strong. And there were, uh, there were populace. There were many of them. We read in Isaiah 53, and this is a surprise to me, uh, looking up, uh, this idea, but what God says in Isaiah 53, concerning the Messiah and uh, the the great work that the Lord Jesus Christ would do. It says in Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And there we have the same thing. The great, the strong, the many. And this can only be speaking of those that Christ died for. His elect people are great, they are strong, and God speaks of them as many, even though, of course, the Bible does refer to those that are saved as a remnant, as we we saw a little earlier, yet overall, the sum total of all that God saves, the remnant out of every generation, is a great multitude. And and God does speak of saving a great multitude um, in Revelation 7, in verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And we know it goes on to say, uh, when the question is asked where they come from, they came out of great tribulation. So, in Joel 2, a great people and a strong is Speaking of God's elect, it is spiritual Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the promised seed. They are going to be this army that that God will go on to describe that is uh, going forth in the day of judgment. Of course, we we don't uh, just have these verses that we just looked at as proof. There's There's all sorts of proof in the Bible that this army is the army of God's elect because God speaks of coming in the day of judgment with an army in Revelation 19. And uh, it says in verse 13, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So there's Christ. And then in verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And when we look up uh, fine linen, white and clean, uh, just a little earlier in the same chapter, back in verse 8, it says the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. 
And, and so there is Christ and the saints. The Lord Jesus comes with ten thousands of his saints. The completeness of the saints are all whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone that God determined to save, that did become saved, becomes part of the army of God, judging the world with Christ. And that is this uh, unparalleled army that that God begins to speak of here in the middle of verse 2, and he'll continue um, discussing them uh, all the way until... Uh, we, we get to verse 10. It, it's going to be this great, mighty, populous army that goes forth destroying the earth. And we, we know from all else the Bible uh, tells us about this, that it is God judging the world with his people. As he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, know ye not that the saints shall judge the world. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.